I, I wouldn't say run and save my life, but I don't think we would be <coughs> near where we are today without running. Me, you know, I, I don't think I could have gone back to my work and functioned at my work without chilling someone or yeah. <laughs> or um, doing something stupid, lashing out, um, going out to the pub and nah. burying my head in a pint. Because you know, I used to like a drink when I was younger, and I think, I mean, I think because you've like you've never been really an angry person. You're such a laid back person prior to this. Yeah. Obviously, it it definitely changes you as a person. Mm -hmm. So I do think running's helped you deal with those emotions. Mm -hmm. Definitely. It's definitely helped. And for me, I think it's just the like stresses and the like the upset inside of it that it helps me with yeah like um, the sadness and that Mm -hmm. I think that's why I need running otherwise I think I would just be I would think I would still be locked up in the house and not speaking to anyone I think we'd be more more reclusive like we'd I think so I really think we wouldn't be as open as what we are we wouldn't be able to go and do near as much as we have done with the charity um, but also in our own personal lives, mm-hmm. you didn't, you know, with, with your work and myself going back to my work, going away to see you again, it's, it's been massive for us. Like. Welcome to episode 7 of the Explore Running Podcast. I'm Alan Crinan and I'm back with my co-host Jenny Rhys Jenkins. How are we doing Jenny? Good! <laughs> holidays! Woo! Yes, summer holidays. Summer holidays and it's pissing me rain. That's like typical Scotland, but uh, there you go. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, welcome back everyone. Uh, we've managed to do it few weeks since the last one, so after our long break before the last one, so that's good. Um, despite being busy and it being school holidays and all that stuff, we've managed to get online, so hopefully we'll give you something worth listening to. <laughs> um, as per usual, um, please send us in your audio clips. Um, you'll have heard at the start of the show um, a clip from someone on the theme of how running saved their life or how running has greatly enhanced our life and we would really appreciate if more listeners could send some clips in, just about 60 seconds or so, that would be really massively appreciated. So, on from that, uh, what's been happening since two weeks ago, Jenny? How's the running going? Yeah, not bad. Um, my knee's feeling okay. It's not 100%, but... It's definitely okay. I think I'm okay for Lakeland 100. So that's it, really. So now I'm two weeks to go. Mm-hmm. I've got, well, just under three weeks to go. Um, yeah. yeah, that's it. So it's all, it's all go now. So <laughs> Lakeland 100, which, if the name doesn't give it away, is a 100-mile race. Um, 
What's the format of that? Is it just a 100 mile course or is there laps or what is it like? Oh my god. Well, it's not 100 miles. It actually oh. is more than 100 miles. Um, and do you want to know? I don't know. I know <laughs> zero about the race because I, I don't want to overthink it too much. I've wrecked yeah, yeah. it all, but um, I'm not very good with statistics. But basically... And I can't remember most of the information, which is terrible. But after, I'll be able to tell you everything. Yeah. Um, but it's one massive big loop around the ah. Lake District. Cool. So it's a continuous loop. It's mostly trail. It's got lots of climbing, lots of technical terrain, lots of fun. And there's mm. checkpoints sort of... Oh, God, every, you know, few miles, every 10 miles or so. I think there's 14 checkpoints. Oh, and they provide food and things. You start, I know that I start at night on, I don't even know what day I start actually, I think it's yeah. on the Friday. <laughs> and then uh, I am going to look it all up, I promise, by the time I do the race. As long as you get to um, start at the right time, you'll be alright. Exactly, yeah, yeah so you start, so it's going to be two nights I'll be running through. I'm going, hopefully going to do it in 35 hours. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a long day, night, day, yeah, yeah. <laughs> night again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so just for a bit of insight, what do you, what do you run or have you run uh, in the sort of last six weeks or so as your longest run? Um, uh, uh, I did I did Larry Grew last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's twenty seven miles. Uh, that's about it, really. That's probably the longest thing yeah, I've done in a while. I did I did the Catherine Trail, which is fifty five. That was yeah. in May, so it wasn't too long ago. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I should be I should be all right. It's, it's, yeah. I'm I'm ready for it to hurt. It's <laughs> It, it hasn't been, like, obviously with getting injured, mm-hmm. uh, I've had to sort of readjust. I mean, I think that's why I've not looked at it too, in too much detail, because I've gone from potentially racing it to just enjoying it now and surviving and getting round yeah. in one piece. But yeah, I, I've, done a hun- I've done... I've done the distance before. Yeah. Um, I've run 120 miles on trail before, so... And I did a little, you know, about the same sort of training, <laughs> really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think no, I was I, broken then as well. Yeah. So I should be all right. I know I can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing that's going to be a problem is if my knee isn't actually ready for it, um, that'll be a big factor. So if I don't do it, it'll be probably due to something like that. Yeah, will you strap the knee up as a precaution or anything like that, or...? Um, I don't know. I'll wait and see. see I'm gonna think yeah. about it. Yeah. I don't know. I'll see how it feels. Yeah. Strapping can sometimes annoy me when I'm running. Yeah. Um, and I and I get quite fed up of it because it's such a long time as well. Yeah. So we'll see. Get out yeah. of bed, or something, and all that sort of stuff. Can yeah. Stuff you don't always run with. So yeah, no. The reason I asked that question really was as a as a nun ultra runner and someone who hasn't run 100 miles before was just a bit of perception as to what 
is required, uh, you know, to, to do auto mails. And I guess your training hasn't been what you wanted to be. Yeah, I mean, if I had an ideal week uh, for so for a hundred mile race, uh, I would have probably done a back to back, maybe last weekend of twenty four miles, and then a twenty miler, and, and a race of about sixty seventy miles mm-hmm. before that. So that would be about as much as I would do. There's a really good book, um, Relentless Forward Progress, it's called. And it's got training plans in it for 100 mile races, oh, yeah, based cool. on if you want to uh, run like 50 miles a week or 70 miles a week, uh, it gives you like different training plans. Yeah, and cool. I pretty much religiously follow it in terms of distances, but it's all based on doing back to backs at a weekend. Yeah. So I know that doesn't suit everybody, and not everybody really likes that kind of pattern to their running. But it's a good, it's a good book. Look it up. Yeah, no, I, I will, and I think, um, well, the back-to-back approach is is something that lots of ultra runners do. I know that, and it makes sense because you know you're running a long run on tired legs a second time, and yeah. you know, and it's replicating bit without going too far. You know, if you're training for a marathon, most people don't run the distance of a marathon before it because at some point the benefits get outweighed by the amount of recovery you need so if you're going to be running 100 miles you probably want to be putting some longer stuff in but you don't want to go too mental I mean I know some people will do really long stuff but I think Camille Heron who we spoke to I'm sure she said 20 milers were her longest runs Mm -hmm. she's the the world record holder so yeah. Um, but she is banging in big miles, you know, it's weekly miles of uh, over, mm-hmm. 100, over 100 per Yeah, week, exactly. So I think that's that yeah. cumulative thing, rather than thinking, well, maybe she should be doing regular 50, 60 mile runs, which is, I mean, I don't think that would do anyone any good. Uh, I think sure it's a are. mental thing. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is. I mean, you've, you've got to get the... To me, it sounds to me, you know, you obviously need a bit of training and all the rest of it, but on the day doing 100 miles it's about getting the early part of it at the right effort mm-hmm. yeah so anything like too hard in the early part of a 100 miler you're going to be in for a world of hurt in the second yeah exactly uh, or maybe even yeah. before the second half get, get yeah that's my normal uh, strategy that's yeah. not really good <laughs> what gave me a very good insight into what is required to complete a 100 miler it was a Dave Gilmore interview, which yeah, I, I I'm sure there are many ways to do it, but the thing I was surprised at with with uh, him was his strategy was basically to run as far as he could and then walk, which I thought yeah. I thought that would be a horrible way to do. I thought he'd be better in employing some sort of walk-run strategy from the start, but then in hindsight, listening back, it makes sense because, um, well, maybe, I'm not sure actually, I would have to try both, I suppose, but mm-hmm. he was going by his heart rate and keeping his heart rate below a certain level, and he did That's that. That's what I'm planning on doing. Yeah. For as long as he could, whilst still running. Yeah. So whether you could delay the point at which you have to walk, by like, mm-hmm. I don't know, running for an hour, walking for 10 minutes, running for an hour, walking for 10 minutes, or something like that, I don't know. But 
because then you get to reduce your heart rate right down. But then I don't know if that's effective or not. I, I'm really not sure. But yeah, mm-hmm. so uh, yeah, because I mean, walk it depends on the terrain as well. Yeah, the terrain. I mean, that's the thing. If you've got to walk because of the terrain, that's the bit where you mm-hmm. get your, your heart rate right down a bit. And, and yeah, walk. exactly. All right. So I saw an interesting quote on Facebook by um, a local runner. I think it was. Kareen, who said it? I don't know if that's how you say her name, is it? Kareen? Yeah, Kareen yeah. Jack. Yeah. yeah. She said that, uh, what was it again? Hills are rests in disguise or something. It was a quote from you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've run together a lot of years. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, anyway, so, cool. So, yeah, so you've got that coming up and your training's going as well as it well, could. Yeah. <laughs> Given the, the recent injury and all the rest of it, and you're, it sounds like you're feeling pretty relaxed about it, which is the main thing, I think. Yeah, yeah, um, I'm going in to enjoy it, so that's yeah. yeah, quite and nice. It, and it's going to be amazing, isn't it? I mean, that. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. Wrecked it earlier yeah, in the year. And, phenomenal. Uh, yeah, the scenery will be stunning, so. Mm-hmm. That's good. If that's going to be the worst of it, is that it's going to be a, a rake around some nice scenery, it's not all bad, is it? Yeah, it's going to be pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. awesome. I just need to read the briefing booklet. I really need to do that, oh, like, you've now. Got, you've, got, you've got two weeks. You've got two weeks. Yeah. You, don't have any, you don't have any work, so it's fine, you're on holiday. Yeah, exactly. It's not like kids need looking after or anything. Well, they can help me. <laughs> yeah, so, cool, so that was your couple of weeks. My last two weeks has been shocking as far as running's concerned. I think when we last spoke I was I was talking a big game about um, going out and doing thirty two miles last weekend and then well oh, yeah. ago, and then forty miles this weekend passed. So Yeah. Um I was playing football on Friday night and Saturday morning was the best time to go out really for that thirty two mile effort and I I went out in a little bit of a rush, I think, so I had I forgot to take a bottle of water with me, which I was gonna just leave at the car. Um but I did have gels and I did have some food in the car, like just sort of snack bar type stuff and I was gonna keep myself fueled with that. But it was bloody roasting <laughs> last Saturday. Oh, no. So and it was in the morning, it was like seven in the morning or something I started I think. Um but I was gonna be running all morning and it was already getting warm. And I think I was on my way back up on my second lap, so it was eight, eight miles per lap, so I was maybe sitting at about ten miles or something, and I was like, Jesus, this is actually feeling harder than it should. And I was going, I, I was going by heart rate, and I could tell it just felt harder, even though the heart rate was, you know, you know I, I felt like I was moving slower and all that sort of stuff. And I sent my wife a text and asked her if she could bring a bottle of water down the car because she was going to be passing. And then, but then on the way back down from that lap, so maybe at about 13 miles, I sort of talked myself into just stopping when I got down the hill. Oh, and I was boy. Like, uh, sent her a message, I don't worry about it. Um, I was just going to jump in the car with her and go to where she was going with the kids. So I did a 16-miler, so it was not all bad. I did do a Yeah. Um, but not the 32, and then I had thought I was maybe going to head out the next morning and do a sort of back-to-back type thing, and at least have done the 32 
um, for the weekend. But I can't remember why, what happened on the Sunday. I think I possibly didn't even run at all on the Sunday. And then I planned to run on the Monday and it didn't happen for some reason. can't remember why. Then I was playing football on a Tuesday, so I didn't run on the Tuesday, but then I got flipping injured. Oh football. no! Um, so I, I, as anyone listened to the show last week will have heard, I, I went back to football after seven years out, so I'm still at the stage of I'm a sub in the game, so I get I get on, been getting on the sort of second half of the game, and that last Tuesday I was uh, I was absolutely buzzing, thinking I was getting you know really starting to come on a bit, and fitness-wise was good and all the rest of it came on. Um, early second half and the first thing I did sort of slide and tackle and when I got up my groin just went and I was like oh man so I started trying to run it off a little bit and I was like no that's definitely not getting better and I had to come off like I was on the pitch for about five minutes at the most uh, and so that meant you know definitely no running the next day so that was like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday no running and uh, I went out on the Thursday and did a, a slow jog and you know, my groin was still pretty tight and stuff so um, that was alright though, I could run but it just, you know, I couldn't really run fast and Friday I went out and I, I ran again and I pushed on a wee bit in the second half but not fast at all, just still an easy run and I could feel it when I was running a little bit faster so I missed my game on Friday, I didn't get to play on Friday because of it, and then Saturday, Sunday, I think I was just mega busy the weekend and landed up not running at all, and so I was like, I better get back out Monday, so by this point my groin felt like it was fine, but I hadn't been running for a couple of days, and so Monday I went to the track and I was going to do some sort of, I hadn't quite worked out what I was going to do until I got there, some sort of 400 metre reps at the track on Monday morning. But once I, as soon as I ran fast, I could feel that my groin wasn't quite right, so I sort of ditched that session uh, after one rep. <laughs> and, uh, I did, I did, well, I went out at lunchtime and, and ran. So there's a difference between running sort of fast 400 meter reps and running like 10k pace or a little bit slower than 10k pace. So I went out and just sort of ran a, a relatively hard 10k at lunchtime. Um, to sort of fart like type thing. Uh, ran a couple of faster miles at the start and then slowed down a bit and then ran a couple of faster miles at the end. And so I ran something like 39, 20, 10k or something, which is a good bit off of actual 10k pace, but it was a decent run out and my groin felt fine. So then I was like, hmm, maybe I'll be alright to play football Tuesday, which was last night. Went down to the game and had a bit of a last minute fitness test kicking the ball about and stuff and it just it wasn't quite right so I had to miss my game okay. last night and, mm-hmm. and no running today because as I said before we started recording today's been like mega flat out from the word go and I've been on dad duties mm-hmm. today and stuff so not a chance to get out running today at all which I was hoping I might have got up really early and went out but I was in bed late and stuff so it hasn't happened but I'll, I'll be out hopefully tomorrow and uh I've got football on Friday, which I think I'll be alright for, so I probably won't be running Friday, but then I'll have to go and, I think I'll need, I'll need to go and get a couple of long ones in the next two weekends, because um, 
the next time we speak, we should have a, yeah. another baby Crichton. So <laughs> that'll yeah. that that'll get in the way of any training. So um, I'll try, I need to try and get yeah. more ones in in the hills. Um, Good this luck. Weekend and next weekend, I think. So I will see how it goes. I'm kind of getting to the stage of not caring that much, to be honest. Well, you've got plenty of time and you what can will totally I'll run as far as I can in 12 hours regardless of what training I've done. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, and it's not one of these things that's going to be like, I'm going to find myself deserted 50 miles from mm. home or anything. It's like up and down a hill. Yeah, exactly. That'll be good. So, that'll be fine. That'll be fine. So, yeah, so that's uh, my last two weeks of a floor about. <laughs> Well, in two weeks I've probably ran something like thirty miles or something, which is pretty, pretty low. Um, that's all right. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Just life in there. It is. Yeah. It is. It's just like I've been really busy because we've got a baby coming and stuff. There's a lot of stuff happening and a lot of stuff going on with work and, all, and everything. So yeah, yeah. No, I'm not really that bothered about it, which is unusual for Good. me. If I'm missing runs, I'm usually. Climbing the walls and stuff, but I'm alright. Yeah, no, it's a good place to be. Yeah. So, we like to talk about stories on the podcast as well. Um, as well as my running being shit, my um, organisation skills for the podcast and shit as well. I don't have any show notes, but I have sent a couple of links. I don't know if you've sent, uh, read them. Yeah, I saw them. Um, yeah. So, I, I actually read the update on this, the first one, which is um, the British guy... Christian Morgan is currently attempting, or was attempting, the Appalachian Trail record. Yeah. So, um, for those who don't know, the Appalachian Trail is a 2,189, to be precise, mile trail uh, through the States. Um, I'm trying to find out exactly what about in the United States it is. I'm not sure. It goes through 14 US states. That sounds impressive. Um, and it's this thing that, well, the last few years there's been somebody having a pop at the record. At least one person every every year for maybe the last three, four years having a pop at the record. And there are some legends that have taken it down. Uh, I'm trying to remember their their names. Um, what's the guy? Speed Goat. What's his name again? Uh, he's the guy that's sponsored by Hoka. Carl Meltzer. Oh yeah. He he broke. Scotch Urex record a couple of years ago and then and, and it's this weird thing so it's just like ultra running personified these guys are trying to break each other's records so when Carl Meltzer was trying to break Scotch Urex record Scott Jurek was helping him you know he was <laughs> uh, he was out there helping him and stuff and running with them and all the rest of it. And then... I love that. <laughs> the, two, the two of them, I think, helped the guy who has the current record, who is a guy called Carl Saab. Carl Saab from Belgium. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing his name right. Um, who ran the record last year. And so this is 2,189 miles across some pretty tricky terrain, by all accounts. And... This guy completed it in 41 days, 7 hours and 39 minutes. I'm not sure what that averages out per day, but the guy... I've already forgotten his bloody name. Um, <laughs> what's his name again that's doing it? Christian... 
Christian Morgan, sorry, from London, uh, was attempting to run 55 miles a day so that he could do it under 40 days, I think. <laughs> so that's pretty cool in itself. Uh, and sadly, 10 days into his challenge, he's already given up uh, on breaking the record. He's still going to go out and complete the trail. But yeah, uh, I was reading that. Within a week, he's fallen off the pace for whatever issues he's had. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, that must be gutting. Mm-hmm. I, I suppose you must go into it with the realisation that that sort of thing could happen. And it's good that he's not just pulled the plug and he's actually going to go and complete it. Oh, totally. But these um, fastest known times, FKTs, there's quite a lot of that stuff going on. I don't know what you think about it. I I think it's pretty cool, actually. And I I always sort of have this um, look around Scotland and stuff to see if there's any fastest known times I could... (laughs) <laughs> set myself, but um, sorry, I um, but yeah, it's pretty cool. These big ones in the states are mental. I mean, that over two thousand miles, and um, you can do it supported and uh, unsupported, and all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. And the guys who do these things unsupported are like pretty crazy, you know. I remember actually, interestingly, I I listened to a podcast with guy Carl Meltzer. He broke the record, and then that. I think that Belgian guy maybe broke it, um, or somebody attempted it, and that guy was doing it unsupported, and Carl Meltzer was kind of saying that he thought, in hindsight, you could do it a lot faster unsupported, because you just stop, uh, where, you, stop where you are, go as far as you can each day, and just stop yeah. camp there, where he was like having to stop it where he'd agreed he would stop that day and then somebody yeah. like, I could maybe run for another 20 miles a day or another 10 miles and uh, mm-hmm. yeah then, then there's the, the the other side of it is if you're struggling and you need to stop earlier then I'm not really sure how you'd get around that but because the guys can only get into certain points with their van and all that sort of stuff but but yeah I mean that's the sort of thing I'd love to have a go at, actually <laughs> someday just go and uh, not 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 breaking records, but go and check out some of these cool iconic trails and stuff. But yeah, there's a f- yeah loads of them mm-hmm. in Scotland alone as well, like yeah. the Ramsey Round and ah, yeah. even like the four thousands. You can do that. They've there's a mm-hmm. fastest known time on it and stuff like that. Some cool stuff. Yeah, to do the, around here. The, um, the one I can't remember what it is in the states, but the the fourteeners. Have you heard of that? No. I think it must be, yeah, it must be mountains that are 14,000, would that be right? Feet. That sounds massive. Uh, yeah, but that could be. It must be it's, it's the 14 hours, so it must be, that must be what it means. Um, yeah. And there's a fastest known time that a guy set a few years back, and he uh, cycled between them, hiked up them, ran up them, whatever, down again, backed his bike, cycled to the next one, bang, bang, and, and he went and did that, and I don't know what the what the record was, but I remember hearing at the time, and it was absolutely ridiculous, you know, how, mm. how well he did, but I love all that stuff, you know, we kind of spoke about that yeah. breaking, breaking 2 project last time, 
which for some reason doesn't really excite me that much, but stuff like this I find so much cooler. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. It's it is real. cool. It's a bit more real, you know, getting out in the, the real sort of world, you know, it's not manicured or it's whatever. It's like journeys, isn't it? Little journeys, mm. little adventures. Yeah. It's good. It's really good fun yeah. as well. Yeah, so... Well, I'll Hopefully get he'll get... Christy Morgan, but yeah, I hope he yeah. gets to the end and uh, enjoys it. Probably goes back another time and has a go, but it's one of these things, you probably can't be going back every year to do that sort of thing, you know, taking no. two months out of your life, you know, to go and have yeah. a bachelor sort of thing, but he's sponsored by Innovate, I think, so who knows, he maybe will be able to do it again next year, I don't know. Yeah. So... Yeah, the other story that I, I highlighted was just to be an update on one we'd spoken about previously. Yeah. Was, I can't remember which episode it was, but um, we spoke about the London Marathon incident, or incidents. Yeah, with the back of the pack runners. The, pack yeah. Yeah, so the 7.30 pacer group had been... Had a bit of a crap time, basically, with them removing the course, cleaning up around about them. Mm-hmm. Services guys, um, you know, the guys who were there cleaning up, um, calling them fat and <laughs> slow and uh, all sorts of horrible stuff. But uh, London Marathon have announced that they're going to take some action for next time, and. What that action looks like is, I think basically they're going to delay, delay the, the tidy up, clean up, to give them people more space at the back to get around in that time. I think that's it. Right. Really, I mean, it's it's pretty straightforward, and I, I'm, I'd have been absolutely shocked if they didn't do something. You know. Yeah. And did I read that they've offered them places as well? Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 right. Those guys. Yeah, I'm just trying to skim and read this. I did read it before, but um. uh, It sounded like everyone that had um, been part of that group has been offered the opportunity to run it again. So it must be anyone beyond a certain time, I imagine. Yeah. Hundreds of runners have been given free entry to next year's event, so yeah, that's a pretty good gesture, because you don't want that to be their only experience of a marathon, do you? I know, and I hope they do get a good experience this time, and that people can just stop being Mm -hmm. rude, a bit nicer. Yeah, so here's the bullet point, so following an investigation, London Marathon has said it will start the clean-up operation later to ensure it will not affect those running at that pace, which is the 7.30 pace. Look at the timings of when water was handed out. So I think the course ran out of water as well. So the guys at the back weren't able to get any water. Uh, have one of its most senior staff at the back of the race to monitor the event. So there'll be somebody keeping an eye on things. And tell the contractors of the procedure in place for those running at a slower pace. So, yeah, I think that's probably just a bit of ignorance on the part of those contractors who, you know, are just... Try to go on with their job, I guess, but, um... Yeah. Calling people fat, fat and slow is never acceptable, regardless of the situation, so... Hopefully, it's, it's a lot better next year, basically. Uh, so, well done, London Marathon, for reacting. They kind of had to, but... I'm, I'm, I'm glad they've done it that way, um, rather than the other way, which, you know, the other solution is to have a cut-off of six and a half hours or something, which other races do have, 
and then you can control it's very clear that if you're beyond that cutoff time that you're not going to be running on the course you're not going to get a medal you may not get water mm -hmm. all that stuff it's very clear but that obviously puts off a lot of people who would otherwise have done mm -hmm. it, raised money for charity and regardless of whether you think running a marathon slower than six hours thirty is running a marathon or walking a marathon they're still completing a big challenge for them and it could mm -hmm. exactly. kickstart to a healthier lifestyle for them and all that sort of stuff so I'm glad they've done it this way and I'm really glad they've given those guys the opportunity to come back and get a free yeah. pass because um, then they won't have any pressure from a charity place to raise £2,000 or whatever it is that some charity places have but I'm sure they, those guys will raise money for charity anyway lots of them will yeah so and, exactly go and do the race so so yeah that's pretty cool so let's move on because I know you don't have much uh, time <laughs> oh, yeah. we're recording a bit late tonight and you've got to be off in the next sort of 25 minutes so we'll we'll move swiftly on to um, yeah well, just a very quick mention that we we do like to speak about how running saved my life uh, or saved can save your life and uh, we asked I asked at the start about uh, people sending an audio clip so uh, that would be good and, and if you've got any stories at all that you would like to share um, please do send them to us um, and we can speak to you on the podcast about it or we can bring it up on the podcast all that sort of thing um, there was something I was going to say about running saving our life this week but I can't actually remember what it was now <laughs> yeah anyway um, that's what happens you don't write show notes down I guess so, <laughs> I'm looking at last week's show notes to remind me of what format of the podcast is, so I remember to introduce the correct guest. So this week's guest is, um, or was, as I interviewed her a couple of weeks ago, um, Ailish McColgan, who is a, an elite GB runner. She is the record holder, Scottish record holder, for the 5,000 metres, um, I, can't, I don't have the time to hand, but it's fast, it's the record obviously, and she has this year, as of last week, because you're on the 10,000 metres on Saturday, the night of the 10,000 metre PBs down the line, uh, Highgate Harriers one, she's run an Olympic qualifying time this year for 1,500, 5,000 and the 10,000, so that's pretty amazing. <laughs> a few years ago she was a steeplechaser as you'll hear in the interview so uh, well done for that performance at the weekend Ailish but um, let's just go into that interview now and we'll have a chat about it after Okay, welcome to the podcast, Ailish McCogan. Thank you very much for joining me from your uh, training camp. And um, delighted to have you on. We've tried a few times and we've missed each other, but uh, finally we've, we've managed to get on the, on the uh, phone at the same time. So as with everyone, I start off with the question, what is your funniest running-related story? I'll kick off with that and see mm -hmm. take it from there. Um, do you know what? There's probably 
been so many throughout the years. Obviously, I've been running since the age of 12, so the amount of times funny things have happened on runs is probably quite high. But um, I suppose more recently, um, I was running along the canals in Manchester, um, and I actually I posted this on on Instagram just the other day, um, and I think you maybe saw it just that the geese had like honestly they're so protective because they've just had little ones at the moment. I can't remember if they're what are they called siglets or whether that's swans or not. But anyway, the little geese are just everywhere, and um, yeah, they just won't they ha won't have it at all if you like. <laughs> to approach them, to run past, to walk past, like nothing at all. They're really, really aggressive animals. Um, so I managed to sort of, the first time I got past, there was a guy on a bike um, who sort of like shielded, <laughs> shielded me and used his bike as a shield and was like, oh, and you go love on the outside, quick, quick, and like sort of protected me from them. The second time I sort of took a bit of a, a punt and just went for it because they were very towards the edge of the grass and I thought, right, I've got a chance to just run. If I run as fast as I can, they might not get over in time. Um, but yeah, by the third time, literally as I was just approaching, because that's where my physio is, so I was going to go see my physio, and just as I was sort of meant to come off the canal, um, there was, must have been about four big, big ones and then loads of little ones and yeah, they were having none of it. They just refused to even remotely move out the way and any time, I mean it got to like a bit of thing where we were sort of like watching each other and they would look away <laughs> and sneak up behind them again and then they'd quickly turn. Honestly, it was like some sort of comedy sketch. I've just never <laughs> seen And obviously I'm, I'm speaking to them as well as if they're like human but do you know I mean? I have no idea what the hell I'm going on about. Yeah. Um, what, but, what, what sort of language were you using with the geese? <laughs> uh, I mean, it started off all right. I was actually speaking to them as if they were like, I don't know, little kids like out playing. I was sort of chatting to them quite quietly, and then obviously I started. I just got so angry, so I was like sort of swearing at them, thinking this is crazy. It wasn't until I sort of looked around and could see like a couple apartments as well. I thought, God, these people are going to think I'm a right loon, like shouting at geese on a. <laughs> on a canal path, but yeah. I, so I'm not the only one. I, I mean, I, honestly, the amount of messages I got from people saying like they've been attacked by geese or they've had to stop running along a certain place because of geese. Um, yeah, it was madness. So <laughs> they, yeah. they, they won again because I I didn't get to finish my run. I ended up having to go through uh, as the car park and running the long way round. So they won in the end. They got the yeah. long way. I mean, it's, it's weird because like. If you think about it, it's the size of them compared to a, a grown adult human being. You know, you shouldn't be afraid of them, but they're, these birds can be really atim intimidating. I've been attacked by a, um, a buzzard a couple of times locally, and I got bought, uh, dive bombed by a seagull as well once when I was out running. And uh, anytime there's nesting involved, these birds are completely nuts. Like, they don't, they don't let you get anywhere near them. It was sort of annoying as well. They they're almost like hissing like it's some sort of snake. It was like a really weird <laughs> noise like, uh, they were making. I just thought, you know, I've heard, I've obviously heard so many horror stories of growing up as a kid. I remember someone saying, oh, I think it was more swans, but like, yeah. oh, broke somebody's arm and, yeah. uh, do you know what I mean? I think that's like an old wife's tale. Everybody gets told that as kids, like, be careful around swans because they break your arms. Yeah. So, again, it's just stuck in my head. I thought, do you know what, I can't be bothered with this, uh, risking it, really. Do you know what I mean? Too much, when, especially when I'm in good shape and things are going well. I just think, God, I'm not going to get attacked by a geese here and then have to take the next couple of weeks off. So, no, definitely, that's uh, definitely not worth it. I mean, 
sort of no. cutting the session short or something is much better than, than getting injured, uh, particularly as you said, when you're in such good shape. And uh, we'll briefly chat about that first before we get into how you're going to run and stuff, because this year's been, the last month or so has been pretty amazing. Um, broke another another Scottish record, um, was that two weeks ago now, or is it as long ago as that? And you had the, the 5,000 record. Um, so, um, how long ago was that? 9th of June, is it? Yeah. Yeah, 9th of June, so you, you broke the, the 5,000 metre Scottish record in a time of 14.37.22, um, which is absolutely eye-wateringly fast, to be honest. I mean, for sort of your average club runner like me, I've, I've got a... Uh, 47. Not 37. I'd love to run. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, I've been the that was the the winning time was 37. Yeah, I knew I was going to do that. I looked at this earlier and I, and I, I thought 37, and then I looked back. Yeah, 47. Yeah. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, still. Yeah, you've got uh, almost three minutes on me to be honest, and that's <laughs> it's amazing. So, um, how this? What I wanted to chat about first, maybe before we go right back to to the start, but. This season in particular so far is looking really good and um, you know, I don't want to jinx anything but what's been, what do you think has been going so well with your training uh, because you've got your 1500 metre time, is that a PB as well, 1500? Yeah, yeah, it was a PB, yeah. yeah. And uh, is that the one where you, I think I remember you posting beating your mum's time or something, was that that one? Yeah, so I'd... Yeah. I'd beat my mum's time over 3k and 5k, but yeah. she ran just, I mean, it was like zero point something <laughs> of a between us over the, the 1500. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I suppose it's always been a target since 2017 uh -huh. when I was so close to it there. I thought, yeah, this is like a big aim for me. So, um, yeah, it was nice to sort of finally break one another one of her records. Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, that must be cool, actually. Um, because, I mean, it's not as if, it's not as if your mum was an average runner, she was pretty special, so to, to be competing with her times and beating them is, is pretty amazing. So, um, yeah, so this this season so far you, you, you've hit a few PBs, uh, which is always great, but I mean, you're right up there at the, the top end of, of Scottish athletics and British athletics and really getting into the the world's elite as well. So what, what do you think's been going well this season so far? Um... Do you know what I'd say? It's just being healthy and being consistent. Like over the indoor period, I had a really tough time of um, I don't know. I just I went to South Africa with the GB team, and I don't know if I picked something up. Whether it was I don't know in the water, the food, whatever it was. Um, I just went through a a period where I was just absolutely exhausted, and um, I ended up just being like really run down. And obviously. You're initial. You're you're an athlete, so you want to continue um, trying to train, and it was just the wrong thing to do. I ended up going into like almost like owning overtraining syndrome and sort of chronic fatigue. Um, I stopped sleeping. I mean, I must have had about ten days out in South Africa where I just did not sleep at all, um, and again, that just impacts your training massively. I mean, a huge part of your your um, recovery is is sleep and. I was just so run down, as I said, I was just really, really struggling. Um, I had such a horrible indoor season. Again, I just was feeling tired, run down. It was just it was just generally pretty shit. Um, so 
I had a bit of time off after the indoors um, and I suppose we just tweaked my training slightly to have more recovery in there so instead of sticking to the the sort of scheduled Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday sessions like I always had done um, we've now sort of played around with that a bit so if I wake up on a Tuesday morning and do you know what I'm a bit tired and I'll push that session back I won't just religiously stick to it because it's a Tuesday and I think that's something that a lot of athletes do I think they have a really strict schedule that Sunday has to be a long run Tuesday has to be a track session and I mean it's silly because why do we restrict ourselves to sort of days of the week so um, I'd say there's yeah more recovery added into my program and that in itself has just allowed my sessions to be of such higher quality to be honest I mean I'm, I'm a lot fresher going into sessions um, and then the sessions have improved so then subsequently then my race has improved because I've been able to hit quicker times in training so I'd say it all really comes stems down to to recovery I think that's been the, the biggest change within my program yeah that's, that's really interesting actually that you, you speak about the days of the week in particular I, I remember listening to an interview with um, Magnus and Marcus, they've got their podcast, American sort of college coaching guys, and they talk a lot about um, if any of their athletes turn up and just look like you know they're not in the not in the right frame of mind, or they look like they're too tired, they just tell them to go home, they don't don't bother doing a session because it's going to be detrimental, and and it's I think the, day, the days of the week probably just comes from you know training schedules, doesn't it? Because people traditionally, even top-end athletes would have had uh, full-time jobs back in the day, I suppose, and, and um, they would have had to do the long run at the weekend, and club nights would have been whatever nights they were, and that's where schedules have sort of developed from, I suppose. Um, but when you're a full-time athlete and you don't have um, you know, a, a, an office job or something to go to or, or whatever, a strict schedule like that, you can you can easily change things around and, and even if you do have a job you can change the day of the week to do your, your session quite easily I think a lot of the time but people like you say schedule says Monday's track night or Tuesday's track night and you go and do your, your reps regardless of how crap you feel doesn't actually do you any good um, necessarily and, uh, and and we've all know, we've all heard the that um, you actually make all of your gains or most of your gains when you're recovering. Uh, it's not when you're actually working; it's when you're recovering afterwards. So you need to, your body needs to the time to recover properly to get the gains from the session you've run. So it makes perfect sense, actually. Um, and you're obviously seeing uh, reaping the rewards of that at the moment. So um, yeah, and, and I wanted to, yeah, I also was thinking about that when you were mentioning that you religiously would have stuck to your Tuesday Thursdays is interesting because you're obviously um, an elite athlete and you're coached by your mum who's an elite athlete and you do coaching yourself but it's, uh, it's funny how you, you probably need someone else to, to give you a bit of a, a steer in the right direction even when it's your own running. Has that happened with you as well? Because I mean I've been, I do a bit of coaching and have been coached and I often find myself falling into the trap of running too much or trying to do too much and not recognising it in myself but if it was an athlete I was coaching I would be all over them telling them to back off. Do you find yourself doing that or have you got the experience now to, to recognise it yourself? Um, no, I'd say that everyone always needs that um, bit of 
reassurance and even accountability from a coach. So I think it is important that you, you do have a coach for that reason. And I'm very, very lucky, obviously, to have my mum as, as my coach. And if there's anything... I mean, it's a two-way discussion all the time now. I think as a kid, it was more um, whatever my mum would say, I would just go and do. But certainly now, because... I mean, she lives in Qatar, and obviously I'm in the UK, so we're on different continents, so it's impossible for her to just set a strict schedule and for me to just follow it 100%, because, I mean, some days, yeah, I'm going to be tired, some days I'm going to be sick, some days I'm going to have things on in life that, unfortunately, um, maybe I can't do training that day or I have to switch things around. So I certainly take a lot more... Um, independence in my training with regards to making decisions, I think it still always will feedback to my mum no matter what and we'll have a discussion as to what we think works and what doesn't work and I think that's the best way to be, to have an open discussion with your coach but at the same time you've still got that sounding board of advice to to ask questions about or to get any sort of in, uh, advice from and as you said I think it's very difficult for you to just make decisions entirely on your own because as an athlete you always want to push and push and push and push but sometimes having that person to say look today you're not doing that today or look we need to cut this set or we need to change this slightly and I'd say my mum's sort of the the main person behind all my training but at the same time my boyfriend Michael is obviously he's a, an Olympic athlete himself in a different event but He's the one, I suppose, on a day-to-day -day basis who's the one that stops me making stupid decisions. <laughs> um, stops me, you know, if I'm sick and I want to go and train, he'll be like, why would you do that? Like, the day off, recover, do you know what I mean? And he'll help me to sort of make those those simple decisions because they are simple decisions. If you are sick, there's no point in going out and yeah. doing a session. As you said, you're not going to gain any benefits from it. But it's just having that, I suppose, reassurance that someone else is saying, look, this is what... I think is best for you and having an outsider's eyes in on things. Um, so yeah, I'm very lucky obviously to have my, my mum sort of driving the whole programme and then on the ground it's really myself and Michael sort of making the, the small day-to-day -day decisions. Yeah, I was going to ask you actually if you had someone um, sort of close by that could help you with that and, and I did know that, um, yeah, Michael was your boyfriend and an Olympic athlete but um, that makes perfect sense and to have each other to, to help with that and and that point you make about someone else uh, helping you make that decision it can be a relief as well sometimes because you you're looking at your schedule going oh man I'm going to miss this session which is crucial to my race which is in three weeks time or something that I really don't want to because I don't feel great before you're asking anyone you definitely don't want to be doing it but then you just somebody says no if you're not feeling well you shouldn't be doing it and it feels like a weight off your shoulders because you've not decided yourself to skip it you're not slacking as such you're just being sensible I suppose so yeah it's all really important stuff actually um, so well, let me take a step back um, you've probably been asked this about three million times in your life but um, in terms of how you got into athletics uh, and, and running uh, when you were younger, you said you've been running since you were 12, and I think it's a, an obvious assumption to make, given uh, who your parents are, that um, you were always going to be an athlete. But I think that's not really the case, is it? Because you're you've got a few brothers and sisters. I can't remember how many, but I think you're the the only one that's an elite athlete, and they're a bit younger as well. So maybe there's time. I'm not sure. But how, how did you get into into a career as a runner in the first place? 
Um, it was actually through my my primary school sort of PE teacher. Um, I remember she sort of put me down for the. It was at the time it was called the Angus Schools Cross Country Championships. So it was just like a county champs, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, she put my name forward, and I said, "Yeah, I'll go along." Like I've, I'd never really done any running before, um, and yeah, I loved it. I think I maybe came fifth or sixth. I mean, I definitely didn't didn't win any medals that day, or I wasn't the fastest kid, but um, yeah, I just loved being outdoors and and running as fast as I possibly could. I mean, it was muddy, it was cold, it was like typical Scot Scottish weather. And um, yeah, from there I got sort of, I think the top eight were sort of giving me little bits of paper to say, oh, you can like come along, you've been like scouted, you can come along to our local uh, athletics club and try it out. And yeah, I just remember begging my mum and dad to, to take me along. And my friend, like my, my best friend at the time was a guy called Ian. And Ian had got sort of scouted as well, so we were like, right, we want to go along to the, we want to go along to the club, we want to try it out. So my mum said, right, we'll take you along to my local club, which is the the Dundee Hockle Harriers, and that was the the closest sort of tartan track to us, so the the proper track. And um, yeah, we just went from there. I mean, I started off probably maybe my first year at high school. Um, we joined the club because um, we were of age then; we could join and. We we just did everything. I mean, I did javelin for ages. I did high jump, long jump, sprint hurdles. Like you name it, we did it. We did just all events. Um, but I think I maybe got to about maybe a year into being at the club, and I decided that running the longest distance I could do was 800 at the time, 800 meters. But I decided that that was what I wanted to do. Do you know, I wanted to sort of move away from the sort of field events and go towards um, the 800. And then my mum had said to me, look, if you stay at the club for so many X amount of months, whether it was six months or whatever it was, she said, if you if you stay at the club, then I'll come down and I'll maybe start an endurance group because we didn't really have like such a thing really at the club. Um, there was a, an adult sort of endurance group that wasn't a kids one so and that's what happened I mean the rest is pretty much history like she yeah. decided to start coaching me she started building up a wee group there was myself and and my friend and he didn't last very long and obviously I kept going and then she built up the group I mean we had all maybe about 30 people from all ages all abilities kids adults um, quite a few sort of Scottish champions um, Two girls gone on, went on to win European sort of junior champs medals. Um, so yeah, it was a really good standard group that we had, and I suppose that's what kept me in the in athletics was just the social side of it. I made sort of friends for life, and um, yeah, I still speak to probably the majority of those people that I met at the club still today. Yeah, that's amazing, really. Um, so the thing, yeah, I, I always uh, I always like hearing about athletes who've, who've gone through the process as, as kids and teenagers because I didn't get into running until I was about 30 odd uh, which is quite familiar you know play football or whatever and then take up running after and for guys like me it's, it seems weird that um, an athletics club you would have tried all those other events as well before um, focusing on running or specialising in a particular event but it's just it's the way it's done actually through athletics and it's it's m a much healthier way for kids to train and 
to try things out and, and find out what you are actually good at. And, and you know, for somebody like me who I, I basically just played football all the time, never had like one shot at each of those things, PE or something, but you know, couldn't throw the javelin very far, so never tried it again or whatever. But um, I think that's pretty cool. And then obviously, I wonder how. Dundee Hawks has been a fairly successful club uh, over the years, and I wonder how much of that uh, comes back to the legacy of your mum taking on a group of um, 30 odd athletes and developing them from there. And you know, obviously, the other high, really high-profile Dundee Hawks is Laura Muir, and um, yeah, the pair of you have had some pretty good success over the last couple of years. But um, sort of, I hadn't really heard of them. Dundee Hockville Harriers until maybe a few years ago, but it crops up every now and again uh, uh, with top level athletes. That's, that's pretty cool, actually. There can't be many many youth uh, running groups around the country that would have someone with the prestige of your mum taking them on, so that's cool. And I'm sure lots of people benefited from that. Um, so from, from there, you're on the 800. Um, so yeah, that would be. Okay, pull up your power of 10 in front of me here. So, you're talking maybe. So, under 13, under 15. Yeah, 10, 12 years ago or something, was it? Or a bit more than that? Or. I'm trying not to give you your age away. I don't know what your age is. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so. Yeah, under 13, but yeah, okay. So, you've got. Yeah. Yeah, quite a lot of races at 800s there. You're you're winning loads of them actually. Looking back at your power of ten, so um, just locally now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but that's uh, that's still cool. I mean, um, a lot of promise was shown there in the early years, I suppose. And then, at what point did you step up to? Cause I know the, the steeplechase was your event for a few years, and when did that start, really? So I'd, I'd obviously um, I, I got to an age where probably most girls drop out, like hit puberty, you start getting a bit tired, you're just not as strong as you were, um, and that sort of hit me just as it did everyone else, and my times just sort of plateaued, I just could not, I d yeah, I just wasn't making any improvements at all, after sort of running quite quick as a, as a 13, 14 year old, sort of like 15 to age 17 it just wasn't happening at all and um, it was really just by chance that I tried the steeplechase because the steeplechase had started at the it was the National Junior League and our club had like joined um, Fife EC we weren't a big enough club to make the, the league but we joined with another club and we were sort of known as Kingdom Athletics Club um, and so we used to get invited down to um, the junior leagues then and we used to go to like Gateshead and a few other places down south and it was a big deal for us because it was a, a it was huge for our club as well at the time like we'd never been invited to sort of leagues like that and it gave us the opportunity to race some of the, the English girls and again these girls were were the quickest in Britain by a long, long way. Uh, it was a much better standard. So the steeplechase was always an event that nobody wanted to do, and the, the club used to just go around to just begging people to <laughs> to just do it for just a single point. Do you know I mean it was the same with? Um, I mean, there'd be one day I would do like a fifteen hundred, a javelin, a high jump, and then a relay at the end to try and get as many points as we could for the team, and that's just what everyone did. It was a team yeah. event. Um, but yeah, the, the fifteen hundred 
steeplechase as it was back then was just something that like nobody was willing to do. Um, and I remember there was one day yeah, they were really, really struggling and I think we needed so many points. So I said, right, I'll, I'll go and give it a go. Like I had already done an 800 or something, but I thought, right, why not? I mean, it's only a 1500. Like, what can, how hard can it be jumping over barriers? <laughs> I was like, oh, I'll just give it a go and just see how it get, I get on. Um, I had no idea. I mean, I'd done sprint hurdles before, so I just assumed it would be like that, but a bit slower. I had no idea how difficult it would be. I suppose I was just naive to to what the steeplechase entailed. But um, I ended up winning it, and that was my first sort of, I suppose, my first win in a long time. Um, and I ran a time that maybe would have ranked me quite high in Britain at the time. So yeah. Yeah. It, it sort of gave me this a bit of confidence back that although I wasn't running very well on the flat, um, yeah, I don't know, it's, it's, it then gave me a, a little bit of confidence knowing that this, this new event was something dif different to try, something to, um, yeah, a new avenue for me to sort of go down and it just went from there. I suppose then from there I got maybe invited to another race um, to do another steeplechase and then that sort of just became my event. I remember trying the 3,000 metre steeplechase and at the time there wasn't that many girls competing over the event so I suppose the times were uh, a lot easier to or attainable than the flat times were because I was so far removed from from the flat times. Like I would never have made a GB team at that time anyway over the flat. Um, and that's how it just ended up going in. I ended up making my first GB team as a as a 3,000 meter steeplechase back in 2011, um, and it just totally blew up from there. Yeah, I was just as you were talking there. I was, I was scrolling through your um, steeplechase uh, results actually on your power of ten profile, and yeah, those early ones are all first and seconds, and and then you go a couple of years further up, and you've got. Um, the European Under 23 Champs, uh, which is, is that where you got your first GB vest? Yeah, that was my first um, yeah. sort of, well it's classed as junior, but under 23 vest, yeah. and then in that in that same year, is that 2011, in the same year, and then yeah, I represented GB at the European Team Cup, and that was like my first ever senior champs, um, and so that was obviously really really exciting for me and it was over the steeplechase again so that's how I just ended I just ended up becoming a steeplechaser because it was the only open doors and it was the only way that I could um, yeah I, I would ever I honestly didn't think of the standard to ever make a GB team um, so yeah I suppose for me that was the, the biggest part was just opening that door to make the squad yeah, and so from there you've you've kept going obviously, and you've represented Scotland a GB many times since. Um, so in terms of the steeplechase, I mean you were doing that for what four four or five years maybe, um, and obviously you took a change in your your career. I'm trying to find the year. When was it after? The Olympics in Rio, was it? Did you steeplechase there? Or, or was that the first one you didn't steeplechase at, actually? Yeah, so 2015 I broke my ankle and I had oh, yeah. to undergo surgery for the second time. Um, and that just, there was no chance of me being able to steeplechase after that. I mean, I 
broke my foot in 2011, um, and I had to have sort of reconstruction on the middle part of my foot. So I had five screws and a two, uh, sorry, five screws and a plate in my the mid foot um, in 2011, and in 2015 I broke the same foot again, but in a different area. Um, so I then had to have another two screws put into my ankle joint, and the pain I had when I got back, I mean, the surgeon was telling me it was fully healed, but I mean, I'd had a whole year. I had sort of eight months in a moon boot and then a full year out of the sport. Um, and then when I started back running, it was still very, very sore um, to the point where I sort of had the really, really bad hobble. Um, but the surgeon was adamant it was fully healed and there was nothing more he could do. So he said I had to just sort of get on with it and run through the pain until my body adapted. Um, so running was, yeah, it was pretty horrible for a good couple of months. And this was at the very start of 2016, obviously, in the lead-up to the Olympic Games, mm -hmm. and was just out of the question. I mean, I couldn't even go up onto my toes doing a calf raise or doing a hop, never mind um, trying to jump a steeplechase 35 barriers. So in the back of my mind, we sort of made the decision, obviously, with my mum that um, the aim for that year was just to try and get back pain-free running. So don't worry about steeplechase. And if I could do a few races, great. I'll do some flat races and see how I get on. And... Um, that was that was the decision we made, and I, I, to be honest, I haven't looked back because in my first 5k of the year, I ran 15:09, which was a huge PB, um, an Olympic qualifying time, and I, I couldn't believe it. Do you know what I mean, it, it literally, or I just cross training and sort of trying to run through the pain as much as I could, um, and the foot was still painful even during that race, and yet I'd come out with a, something like a 35 second PB. So I was just um, obviously, yeah, I was over the moon with that, and. That's the point where my whole mindset changed, and I thought, actually, I am good enough in the flat here. I can actually be an Olympian over the the flat distances. So, um, yeah, that's where the steeplechase sort of got left behind in the end. Yeah, so I, I didn't realise you broke your foot twice. I I, I realised you had a bad injury, and I knew you'd had a year of zero running. But um, so, did you break your foot whilst steeplechasing, or was it totally unrelated? Yeah, in 2011. I I broke it steeplechasing, so it was during the Diamond League at Crystal Palace. Um, so that was a yeah, pretty horrible sort of event for me. Um, I actually ran the last 600, of, 600 metres of it fully fully fractured and the bones in the middle of my foot displaced. Oh. Um, so it was, I shouldn't obviously should have stopped running, but um, it was my last chance to make, well my first ever chance to make a, a world champs team. A qualifying time, um, so I actually qualified for the team, which was even more ridiculous. But um, I qualified, and then obviously couldn't go because I had completely yeah smashed up my foot. Um, the one in 2015 was just a bit of a freak accident. I'd been hurdling again, um, trying to pre-season, sort of making sure that my hurdling technique was a bit better. And I'd gone out for a run on the on like sort of spongy grass when I was out in South Africa. And um, I just twisted my ankle really, really badly, and, and that was it. I, that was the next day. I couldn't walk, um, and then obviously when I got home from South Africa, we had a scan, and it was the calcane anterior calcaneus bone, so just at the side of my ankle, um, was broken in like a really obscure area. Uh, the surgeon said he'd only ever seen it in snowboarders before, so it was a bit of a weird one for a runner yeah. to get. Back. But I'm assuming it was just from the, the twisting action that happened, unfortunately. And totally unrelated to the previous break. 
Yeah, so it just happened to be the same foot. Um, I, don't, I don't know whether maybe I put obviously a little bit more pressure through certain areas because of the, the metal work that I have mm. in there. I'm not really too sure, but um, yeah, it just was, I think I was just unlucky that it happened to be that same foot. So I had to go through another surgery, a couple of more pins in there. Um, and yeah, so I think the, the steeplechase was, I mean, I look at it now and I obviously miss it. And I watch it on TV and think, oh, I'm always going to think, oh, what if? Um, but it became a bit of a fear for me, I think, because I'd gone through two surgeries and spent so much time out the sport because of it. Um, yeah, I feel much happier and a lot more confident now putting it behind me. Yeah, and are you still the uh, Scottish record holder for the 3,000 steeplechase? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, um, so, yeah. So there, yeah, I mean, I was going to say that um, obviously horrible experience to go through and, and all the rest of it, but you know, I'm a bit of a believer in things happening for a reason and you've gone on to um, pretty good heights already <coughs> in the 5,000, but yeah, the potential was clearly there at Steeplechase given you've got that record and you could have gone on to to challenge for medals at major major championships, but um, I suppose, yeah, you've just moved forward from that now and you've got, you've got the opportunity to do that, I guess, at, um, in the flat race, so if we take a leap into the Olympics in 2016, um, yeah, I remember that was that was pretty amazing. Actually, I obviously only got to watch it on the telly, but um, it was cool seeing the two uh, the two Dundee Hawks going at it uh, in the Olympic finals. It was pretty pretty cool. So, um, what was what was that experience like out in Rio um, for the 5,000? You had to do was there one heat before the final? Is that how it worked? Yeah, there's a heat and then a final. Yeah. So, um, so I'm trying to look, yeah, a few days apart. So, what was it like being in the camp out there in Rio and uh, building up to that? Because obviously that's after a year out and you qualified with your first race, so confidence would have been pretty good, I guess. But, I mean, how, how were you in terms of going into that? Were you confident? Or were you crapping yourself, or both, or what was it like? To be honest, for me, it was I was a lot calmer than I mean, London 2012 was my first Olympic Games, and I'd gone from just being a student at like Dundee Uni and having competing at like university championships in Grangemouth with maybe five people in the stands to then making an Olympic Games, and not only an Olympic Games but a home Olympic Games in London, yeah, and that was absolutely mental. Like I can't explain the noise, the the media side of things, it was just like nothing I'd ever ever experienced in my life. Um, and I remember standing on the start line, I was just absolutely petrified, like I'd never ever been so scared in all my life to, to race and it, I just, I ran really badly that day, I didn't obviously get out of my heat um, and I remember going home and going back on the bus and just being so overwhelmed by like the whole situation that I didn't even really particularly enjoy it the way I probably should have done. I mean, it was my first Olympic Games, and there weren't many Scottish athletes that had actually even qualified, and it was it was a big deal. And I mean, I'd sort of watched the Olympics on TV so many times, and then there I was in the stadium. But yeah, the whole experience had just been a bit too much for me. So in Rio, I sort of. I felt like I had all that behind me. I'd, I'd even had Glasgow Commonwealth Games, like another home games behind me as well. So I went into Rio very chilled out because I had, those two experiences were far outweighed anything that 
I'll ever experience again, to be honest. And in Rio, I mean, it didn't even feel like an Olympic Games. Like there was hardly anybody in the crowds. Um, the, the the media was pretty calm because the, there was such a huge time difference that. I mean, I was racing at maybe something like 3 a.m. in the morning or 5 a.m. in the morning or something. So, again, like there was the social media side of things, the actual media side of things was really chilled out as well because, I mean, it was only sort of die-hard fans or your family that were going to get up to actually watch you compete. Um, so I think all all of those factors sort of, um, it just didn't didn't particularly feel like an Olympic Games. It was a lot more chilled out than that, and um, I suppose that's why. I had a, a pretty good performance. I mean, I made my first ever Olympic final, my first ever sort of global final, um, which which was quite nice. Certainly, I didn't expect that after having a full year out of sport. Um, so yeah, it was it was obviously it's still an Olympic Games. It's still an amazing experience. But I just think nothing will ever um, outdo what London 2012 was. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, sort of skirted over the fact you were at London and uh, Glasgow, but uh, for me, the 2016 seemed like the big, you know, the big sort of comeback, and and that's where you you really stamped your name on things. But yeah, to go back to London, I mean, I I couldn't get tickets for London, unfortunately. I did manage to get to see a volleyball game, but that was about it. But um, I experienced the Olympic Park. I have done a couple of times since um, at the Olympic Stadium, sorry, and. I went to the anniversary games a year after, and even that was completely and utterly mental. I mean, like Mo Farah was winning a was it a three thousand or a five thousand? I can't remember what it was now, but I mean, this, the noise was absolutely insane, and nothing like I've ever heard before. And I actually I went and ran in the um, uh, the National Lottery five mile thing or something around the Olympic Park and you finish up in the stadiums and there must have been I don't know how many people were actually in the stadium watching but a, a fairly decent number like um, 15,000 or, or something or a bit more um, because all the, the family members and the people who run in this five mile race were got tickets to, to come in and watch and I remember you ran around the Olympic Park and that and then you went, I think it must be the entrance that vehicles would go in under the, below the stadium and then through this sort of corridor which would be like the warm up bit just before you come out onto the track if you're competing Yeah. and then, and then it was really quiet in there, you know, nobody going about apart from they had like inspirational stuff like um, clips from Mo Farah winning gold or something and, and uh, chariots fire plane and all that sort of thing and you run through that bit and then you come emerge into the stadium and to me, it was just like this wall of noise. It was absolutely deafening. So I can't imagine what it'd be like, you know, if it was actually full, and you're got a GB vest on, so everyone's actually going mental for you. And yeah, it must have been, like you say, insane. And I can, yeah, I can totally appreciate the difference between that and uh, that and Rio when you've got, like you say, relatively small numbers watching live. Um, over here in the UK and, and then um, you know it's not a home crowd so they're not all cheering for the GB vest the same so it's pretty cool I've had that experience when you came back I suppose and, and that allowed you to, to just focus on the race like it was any other race and what was it like um, in the camp as well because it must have been a bit like was it a bit like a school holiday or something with the, the GB guys all in the camp together 
Um, so for Rio, it was a bit strange because I actually I had a camp in France instead. Um, so I prepared in Font Remo altitude. Oh right, okay. A lot of the distance runners will, will prepare altitude. So there was like um, myself, Mo Farah, Andrew Butchart, um I can't remember who else. There was a, a whole bunch of us out there, and one by one you sort of go into the into Rio. So mm. I was the last person to leave. Um, so it was a bit strange because the Olympics had already started, and the swim actually the swimming and everything had all finished, and I was still just sitting in France on my own. Um, so it's weird, you don't really get to experience the Olympic Games like people would imagine really, literally I was in France watching it on the TV every so often uh, when my Wi-Fi was, was good enough um, and then I literally flew in just two days before the race, I raced um, and then that was it, I was shipped off home the next day so um, yeah, it's it's maybe not the, the sort of experience that most people would assume and you don't really get the chance to to really see anything in Brazil or be a part of the the whole action, but um, I suppose that's the the decision we make as distance runners that we like to prepare at altitude and we feel stronger coming from altitude than we do from sea level. Um, but ev I mean, everyone's different. I mean, there's people like um, Laura Waitman who like to have she'll go to altitude, but then she likes to have two weeks down. I think Laura Muir is maybe a little bit long. Maybe she does five days down or seven days down. Do you know, everyone has their preference as to what they feel best at. Um, and yeah, you sort of go into the camp, into the the athlete village, then according to that. Yeah, that's not what I was expecting at all. That's completely and utterly different. So yeah, I sort of had this romantic vision in my head of you all going about in your GB tracksuits around the the Olympic Village, and you know, um, enjoying each other's company and supporting each other at your races and all that sort of thing. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose the the sprinters and the other sort of field yeah. events, they'll all be in the the village for quite a while, and they'll be in a home camp for maybe two weeks before as well. So they'll be in Brazil for quite a long time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as I said, the distance runners are literally just in and out. And I mean, I, I I'm yet to watch anything other, uh, any other sports at the Olympics because we're always on last as well. So yeah. Uh, again, I, I watch it on TV, but I don't ever get the chance to actually watch it live or in person, which is a, a real shame. Um, yeah, because I mean, without obviously you're an athlete, but you know you're about to be a, an athletics fan as well, so it's a bit of a shame you don't get to experience that. Um, but I guess there's plenty of time to do that when you're <laughs> in years to come, I suppose. But um, this is one of those sacrifices amongst many others that um, elite athletes make, particularly distance athletes, as you say. So. So yeah, so 2016 was was quite the comeback year, I suppose, and um, I think the, the following two to three years, from the outside looking in anyway, have just seen you getting better and better. Um, so obviously you had the the next, well maybe not the next major championships, but you had um, the Worlds the following year. Um, again, so what was the experience like there, because that's obviously back in London, so how similar or different was that to the Olympics? Yeah, it was. It was really cool to be back in London. I mean, obviously, there's not as many people, and um, they, they reduced the numbers, like they've taken away, I think it's like the outer section of the stadium's been removed, so it was a little, obviously, less numbers inside the stadium, but it was still a really cool experience. I mean, the British crowds are fantastic, and they know 
they know the athletes really well, they know the sport really well. So um, we had a really good sort of atmosphere within the stadium again, which was really nice. Um, I was just so much more prepared this time around. That's probably why, I mean, I ran a PB in the heat and then I ran another PB in the final. Um, so, yeah, I just felt a lot more comfortable being there, knowing that I had already experienced it before. And I knew that, again, nothing was going to be quite like London 2012. So it felt nice to almost um, almost redo it again and have another shot at performing better in that Olympic Stadium rather than being really disappointed. Yeah, I mean, yeah, much, a much better experience all around, I suppose. Um, yeah, I, I did manage to go down and watch the, the World Championships in the stadium. I got tickets for two or three of the nights, um, which is pretty cool. Um, amazing, actually. I mean, the atmosphere in that place is, is incredible, and there were GB athletes doing well all, all over the place. So, yeah, I can imagine that. I, I suppose, in some ways, that I mean, you had the experience before of being terrified, but then the alternative is that you know they're cheering for you. So, uh, does that help you to run? faster do you think if you've got a crowd behind you like that or yeah it definitely does I mean when you're coming around the, the last um, it, it stops you daydreaming so the, the, there's just no chance to daydream at all because every lap there's just people constantly cheering there's a constant buzz and noise which is really nice and it certainly makes a difference that last 150 I was sort of sprinting with a couple of girls to try and get the last final spots um, to make the, the final a few days later and I wanted it. Do you know I mean, I wanted to to make everyone proud. I, I knew I could hear them cheering, and the faster I went, the louder they got as well. Yeah, so you yeah. are you're aware of that, especially with that last little bit, and it does give you that extra. What whether it's one percent, two percent, whatever it is, it does give you a little bit of an extra boost. And I think all all athletes will say that when they have a home champs. Mm -hmm. If they're experienced athletes, do you know what I mean, if you're not sort of. Uh, too scared and you can you can cope with it I think a lot of people do end up producing their best producing the goods when it matters and I think that's probably where a lot of um, a lot of people do well is that they're their home championship because there's so much pressure on them to, to do so yeah and when you're out there in that environment um, can you can you hear any anything other than noise because I, mean, I know when you know you're in in the home crowd and people will be shouting, you know, go on Ailish or go on Laura or go on Moore or whatever it is, you know, thousands of thousands of people shouting the same thing, but does it just come out as noise or do you ever yeah. pick things out when you're on the on the track? No, it's just a constant noise. Yeah. Uh, it's, there's just too many, there's too much going on. I mean, it's even in, um, I mean, we just raced. I just raced in Rabat just last week before I came out here, and mm -hmm. again, it's a really good atmosphere in that stadium. And I mean, they're not shouting on me, that's for sure. But they're yeah. just constant. It's like just a buzz, like a really yeah. loud buzz in the stadium. Um, and it's nice. It just make it does feel electric when you're running. Then, so you you do get a bit of a you do excite you get excited because again, mm -hmm. it stops you. As I said, it stops you daydreaming or. Um, every lap you just can hear this constant noise and you know that it's for someone it might not be for you but it's for somebody in in this race um, and yeah it does it gives you a really good boost but it is just a it's just a blanket noise really that you hear yeah um, 
so yeah, then that so twenty seventeen was was obviously quite a good year with the your appearance at the World Athletics, but you, you've got a bunch of races there with um, pretty good performances and um, the times getting quicker um, each year really from 2016 forward. So um, yeah, 2017 was was that when you first yeah that's when you first got under 15 minutes, wasn't it? Yeah, 2017 was where pretty much all my PBs were set. So I had a really good year of um, from 1500 right the way through to I think even 10k on the roads. I set my PBs all that year, so it was in good form, and it, it was really the the season of my life to be honest. And um, I was over over the moon with that that year. And I think 2018 was other than my. I had one good race really that whole year and thankfully it ended up being a, a championship race but my other performances I was a bit sort of not down on I mean they just weren't quite wasn't quite there in the same 2017 form um, so yeah it's nice to feel like I've sort of refreshed those PBs again mm, now in definitely. 2018 yeah I mean uh, most most runners probably can relate to having a year where you you hardly set a PB or you don't set a PB and you're struggling to get near your PB and that sort of thing and when you do uh, a year or two later come out and you manage to set that first PB for a year or so it's it's a magic feeling so um, obviously you're you're doing really well already there's, there's still a lot of this year to come but um, I just actually meant to ask you at what point during this did your foot stop being a problem because I, I think you're you're pain free now aren't you with the foot dog? Yeah, now, so from uh, from the first surgery in 2011, it took to about 2014. So even at the Commonwealth Games, I was still um, running in a in a bit of pain through the foot. Um, but I'd say by the end of 2014, it was it was all good. Um, and then obviously broke my foot 2015 again. Um, so I would say I remember in the lead up to. I'd say that summer I was still struggling quite a bit with the pain, um, but my body was just getting more and more used to it. To be honest, because the surgeon had told me I wasn't doing any damage, it was just up to me to just keep pushing through. I thought, right, this guy knows what he's talking about, so I'm going to listen to him and just follow what he said. And he was right. I mean, in the end, eventually, I'd say maybe about a month before the Olympics, things started to settle down. Um, and then certainly, yeah, 2017, 2018, 2019, I've had, uh, yeah, no touch wood anyway, no, no, no issues with, uh, with those sort of both surgeries I've had. Yeah, that's great, great, good to hear. I didn't realise you'd been uh, running pain free for for as long as that actually. So that's good. Um, so I was just having a quick look at your your power of ten results for 2019, and I, I spotted a an 800 and a 1000. Uh, performance in there as well at the, the Diamond League. I actually appreciated you run back down to 800 again. No, I guess. What, sorry, what year was that? It says 2019. No, no, that's just a split through an eight, uh, 1500. Oh, that's what it is, because uh, it's all Rabat. Yeah, that's a bit weird. Ah, oh, right, so that's your split through the 1500 race. Yeah, okay, sorry. Yeah, that looked a bit weird. Um, so I was going to ask you what it was like racing 800 again, but that's obviously not not accurate. So you're fifteen hundred there. Um yeah, just agonizingly close to sub four. <laughs> That's gonna come though, surely, um at some point. And obviously you you broke the record again at uh 
5,000. That was, uh, yeah, a couple of weeks back. So what's um, what's next up for you then? Um, so I've got coming up the British 10,000 metre champs on track are um, just in a couple of weeks' time um, in London. So that's going to be my, my next sort of race. Um, it's not anything that I'm particularly focusing on, but we had all planned that we'd, we would go into, um, that I, w I would do a 10k on the track, and I attempted one earlier this year and it just didn't go to plan at all, so we just thought, right, that'll be a good sort of test for me, a good endurance test, a good strength test, before then going back into... Um, focusing on the, the 5k with a, a touch of 1500s in there as well so it was just to mix things up really I think we've got such a long season I just didn't want to be obviously I'm running so well over 5k and 1500 now um, but ideally I need to be running so well over those those distances in, in October when it really counts so um, it was just to suppose switch things up do a different race uh, something else to sort of focus on for the time being before then tearing back into it all again yeah, cool. So, um, so obviously you've got your yeah. Well, you go back to road 10k's and, and that sort of thing. I, I know you jumped into 10 miles as well, didn't you, last year? And uh, is that really just at the moment the same thing? Development, strength, and endurance for your shorter distances, or have you got one eye on going longer in the future? Or what do you think? Will happen there? Yeah, I definitely would like to. Um, focus on the 10k in the future um, and certainly my long term goals are obviously moving towards half marathon and marathons but for now all my focus really is on the 5k I feel like I'd love to, my major aim is to try and go sort of second on the all time list behind Paul Radcliffe would be pretty special um, at the moment I'm I'm third so I'd, I'd really really love to try and um, yeah get to sort of sub 1448 would sort of get me down to that um, so uh, yeah that's my sort of current goal for this year certainly is, is that um, but yeah over the next um, two years certainly I want to try the next Olympics I might be interested in having a wee pop at the, the 10,000 metres um, and then after that certainly on onto the roads yeah, so who's who's second on that all-time list that you're going for? Um, Joe Pavey. Oh, yeah, I, I looked that up a couple of weeks ago, actually, that's right, Joe Pavey. Joe Pavey and uh, Paul Rykoff, it's a pretty cool company to be in amongst. Um, yeah, so I, I've ran faster than Joe over, um, I think over 15, maybe I'm just a bit, a little bit quicker than her. So I'd like to try and, the 5Ks, uh, I mean, I used to, love watching, I mean I've been on teams with Joe but I used to love watching Joe on, on TV as well obviously as well as Paula Radcliffe so if I could, yeah slightly nudge her into third and, and be behind Paula that would be uh, that would be pretty special Yeah, amazing, I mean I, Joe Pavey is such an inspiration actually I, mean, I, I wasn't that aware of her until the Commonwealth Games 2014 uh, where she medalled at the 10,000 when she was 40 and I was like it's incredible, you know, absolutely incredible. Um, so yeah, she she's someone else. So yeah, maybe just um, 
take a little bit of a sidestep and um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your, your training. So you mentioned earlier that you, you've built a bit more recovery in and I, I did hear an interview with you previously and I was a bit surprised at the mileage that you put in or, or rather don't put in as, as I expected um, everyone who's an endurance athlete puts in masses and masses and masses of miles per week but I'm not sure if that's still the same for you now but I think I think I'm, I'm maybe misremembering this, but it was something about 40 to 45 miles a week or something you were doing at the time. Is that still yeah. the case? Or, yeah. Yeah, it is. Just because um, I suppose I've, with the injuries I've had, um, I've just had so much time out of the out of the sport. So I think if you look at it as a whole, like if you averaged out the whole year. I mean, there must have been so many months in the past where I was doing zero. So yeah, yeah I was cross-training, I was biking, but actual physically running and impact on the ground would have been zero. Mm -hmm. So I've just tried my best to like build up to a point where my body can handle that. So I didn't want to go from zero. I mean, throughout university and stuff, I was always trying to get up to, and even when I was steeplechasing, I was always doing double days and I was trying to get up to... 70, 75 miles a week and I just kept breaking down or getting sick or there was just constantly something happening so I suppose these injuries especially the one in my ankle because of the pain I physically couldn't run much more than what I was doing and so I was limited to just running once a day five mile run and if I could do that great and that's really where it all stemmed from just the fact that I I was forced into the doing less if you know what I mean um, and then when I ran that 15.09 Olympic qualifier and 35 second PB, I thought, actually, maybe there's there's something in this. Because in the past, I mean, when I'd been double day running, I would never, ever in my life have even come close to 15.09. Um, so it, it all just came from that, that one injury, really. And it's just sort of grown from there. We've just continued on running once a day um, with a sort of limited running program and I cross chain maybe four days in the evening no sessions or anything all my sessions are just uh, running um, but it seems to have allowed me to just not get injured or of course I pick up little things but instead of having nine months out ten months out I may, might have a week two weeks max out and that makes a huge difference like having that consistency of training being healthier it just the consistency allows me to to be much fitter than I ever have been um, and yet it just seems to work for me I mean I don't know if in many other athletes do that as well I'm not sure but it just seems to be a sort of formula that we've found works well so we're just sort of sticking with it for now I'm sure when I move towards sort of half marathon marathons on the roads of course I'm going to have to start changing things and tweaking things but for now with the 5k being our focus um, yeah I still believe that I can do it off of a, a limited mileage I think it's my my best way of, of staying injury free and being consistent. Yeah, and that's it's all what we always say as uh, as coaches is that it's individual to each athlete what works and what doesn't work. And I think it's it's great that you found that balance. And obviously, it's working at the moment clearly as as you continue to get faster, and that consistency is the key. But um, I also heard an interview with your mum recently talking about her time as a runner, and, and she was banging in some masses, massive weeks, I mean I think 120-130 mile weeks or something back when she was uh, at her peak and 
it's obviously the temptation might be to say, well, it worked for worked for me, so it should work for you, and um, that's clearly not not the case at all. Um, probably doing less than half the mileage, and uh, and that's working. So yeah, I mean that sounds it sounds um, really tempting to try that as athletes. You know, maybe everyone seems to be obsessed by running more miles, but um, it's maybe not always a good thing so oh, I think I just found that the the quality of my sessions has gone up massively so my sessions are very specific to running 5k and if I can hit those times in training then there's no reason why I can't hit them in in a, in a race and I think in the past when I was doing loads of mileage I would just be very very tired then from my sessions so the yeah. quality would be lower and I wouldn't be running as fast whereas now I've got really high quality sessions um, those are the things that are really going to shape your racing. You can yeah. do 100 odd miles a week, but if you're not hitting race pace in training, then you're never going to hit it in a race at all. Yeah. Um, so for me, I think it's more important yeah, that I hit my hit my times in in sessions, hard sessions, and all the other running around that is purely just supplementary. So if I have to go on the cross trainer and, and supplement it, or I go on aqua jog, or I go on the spin bike, it's really just supplementing my sessions. And that's the, the sort of logic we've had. And it, it seems to be, well, it has worked, and it's it still still is working now, which is um, which is really nice. Yeah, definitely. And um, <coughs> so in terms of what those sessions look like, do you do two or is it three hard days in the week, or is it uh, two plus a long run, or, or what does that look like? Yeah, usually, obviously, I don't stri I don't really stick to weeks now, um, but it usually works out sort of two sessions a week and a long run, um, but that might be over. I wouldn't. I don't really have a long run every every week as such. It might be one long run every maybe nine days or so mm -hmm. okay. so my week yeah my week's a little bit different but it probably works out two sessions a week um at the moment and again as i said i used to always try and do three no matter what but since sort of removing one and just spacing it out a little bit more it seems to be working a lot better for me mm -hmm. yeah and as a predominantly 5k runner is your what does that long run look like is it just an easy uh, 12 miles or is it as much as that? Yeah, so usually I, in the past I've done 10. Um, last year I sort of went up to 12 and this year I've maybe done two or three runs at 15 miles. Alright, okay. I haven't done very many at all this year. Um, obviously I've been racing quite a lot so my at the moment they'd be back down to 10. Um, but yeah, in the winter I maybe had I'd say two or three runs, 15 miles was the absolute furthest I've ever done. Um, and I, I don't particularly enjoy them, to be honest. It's not like yeah. the part of the week I look forward to at all. Um, so I, typically for me, yeah, anywhere between 10 to 12 would be my, my normal long yeah. run. Now, I was going to ask you when, you, when you made that step up to 15, what did it feel? What Were you sort of worried about running that far? Was it a bit scary thinking, Jesus, I've never gone any further than 12? But um, Or do you just and do it and doesn't bother you? Yeah, to be honest, I suppose at the pace I'm running at, it doesn't really bother me. It's quite yeah. a, a slow, controlled pace. I mean, I can definitely tell the last like couple of miles, I'm a bit like, oh, I just <laughs> want, want this to be over. But um, it's not so distressful that I'm like, I don't ever want to do it again. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. not, it's not that bad. 
Um, I'm sure if it was a hard run, I'd be really, I'd be struggling a bit more. But um, yeah, not not too bad when it's just uh, when it's an easy. So what? Yeah, talking about long hard runs, then what what was your experience like that ten mile race that you did last year? I know you you went and won the Great South Run, and I I didn't catch the whole race, but I caught the end of it on the TV, and it was it was a very very strong finish from from what I remember. So what was that like in terms of those last couple of miles? How did that feel? Um, again, it was it was that was a bit of stepping into the unknown. I mean, I'd just come back from a a holiday, um, so I had no ambitions or goals for that race. It was it was honestly just to get round and to uh, actually manage the full ten miles because I mean my as I said my long runs ten miles so to try and do that hard was a pretty scary thought. But um, yeah, it went a hell of a lot better than I imagined. Um, I suppose the la to be honest, the last couple of miles is probably where I felt most comfortable because it, it gets into the sort of territory that I know and it gets into the paces that I know. So I was able to sort of pick up quite a bit over the last mile, um, and I probably felt more at home there than I did sort of midway through the race. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a really cool experience. Again, I think it was something different. I'd never had a road race where there's just people lining the streets the whole way. Um, yeah, really really cool experience. And I'm I'm looking forward. To who was it you were racing with again? I was trying to find the results here, but I can't remember. It was another British girl, wasn't it, that you were uh, second? Steph, 12 was second. Ah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah, so any any, any plans for any more 10-milers uh, coming up this year, or is that you going to leave that till... Yeah, again, I might, look at doing, I might look at doing Great South again. Um, just because it was a it was a really cool experience. So I'd like mm -hmm. to, yeah, I'd like to just um, I really enjoyed it. So I'd love to go back again and, and do that. It just depends on how it fits this year. Obviously, it's quite an unusual year um, with Doha being so late. But I still yeah, I'd quite like to to try and do that. Yeah. So yeah, that brings me on actually to to mentioning Doha. So um, that. That's a bit of a strange one for you, isn't it? Because that's going to be like your second home, kind of. You're spending quite a bit of time in Doha, don't you? Um, yeah, not a huge amount. I mean, I spent obviously my mum's there, so we usually spend Christmas together. Um, so I'll be out there for sort of like three weeks over Christmas, um, and then I usually go out with the Doha Diamond League again as well, and I stay out sort of three weeks over that time oh, as well. Yeah. But um, this year was a little bit different because the Doha Diamond League was just a bit too early for me. Um, I'd only sort of just got back into training again, so I decided to do a race in America instead because I had a training camp out there. It would have been too far to travel all the way over to to Doha from there. So um, yeah, this year I've only really spent Christmas uh, three weeks, um, but it's it's a really cool place. It's like a very different, obviously, from from the UK, um, and certainly very different to, from Europe, but. Um, yeah, it would be really nice to, especially with my mum being there, I suppose that's my main goal for the year, I want to be part of that championship, because it is a bit of a home away from home, and my mum's got a brilliant training group out there, kids of all ages, um, that she yeah. coaches, and I know that they've all got tickets to go and watch, like, they're so excited, so um, yeah, there's a little bit of pressure, I suppose, on me to try and <laughs> make that team, um, just yeah. because I know how excited they all are about it. 
So what's the, the team selection process for, for Doha then for, for your event? Are you are you gonna try for the double or are you just focusing on the five thousand? No, the five thousand is, is my aim. Um, yeah. you could do both if you wanted to, but you're focusing on the five thousand for for the worlds at Doha. Um so yeah, what's the team selection process like then? Um so you have to come top to the the national champs and then you have to have a qualifying time as well. So it's it's relatively straightforward and yeah. then that third the third place is discretionary, so really it's up to UK to decide who they want to select. Yeah, so you've got the qualifying time now, don't you? Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's just up there. When that uh, national champs, when's that? The twenty fourth and twenty fifth of August. So that'll okay. be my sort of next big aim really. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well best of luck with that then. Um <laughs> um I was someone else was gonna ask you there. Um oh yeah, I, I remember what it was now. Um it was about nutrition, so I think I remember seeing an article or an interview or something a good few years ago now, actually, and it was around about the time yeah, you would have still definitely been a steeplechaser, but I think you mentioned something about taking your nutrition more seriously, um, and there was some mention about you started eating porridge instead of like having cornflakes for your breakfast or something along those lines. I can't remember what it was now, but how much of a part does nutrition play in your in your uh, build up to these events and your overall training? Um, I'd say is. It's more just having a balanced diet. Like back, I know which article you're on about because it was back <laughs> when I was at university. So at university, obviously, I was just a typical student living off of beans on toast and kebabs yeah. at stupid o'clock in the morning and drinking yeah. all the time. And um, I just wasn't looking after myself in in any way to be an elite athlete. And I didn't have to. Do you know what I mean I wasn't an elite athlete? So yeah. there, I, I wasn't getting paid to run, do you mean I was just a student and I just liked to run, it was a hobby of mine so the nutrition was something that, to be honest I just made small changes my last year of uni, pretty much I stopped going out and drinking and partying and started eating proper meals and a bit more protein in my meals rather than just eating microwave rice and, and cocoa pops for my breakfast and then and even just making small changes like that, obviously my performances went up because I was just fueling my body Properly, I mean, I was getting good recovery in after sessions. Um, I was feeling myself throughout the day. I was feeling more alert, more awake. I had found out I was anemic, so again, I sort of made sure that my iron levels were higher than they had been, and there was just a whole accumulation of things. And I suppose over the years, I've just continued doing that. I've just continued looking after myself. So it's not even that I follow a strict diet or I I don't eat certain items. It's just the fact that I'm eating healthy, do you know I mean? I have a really varied diet, I'll have um, yeah, a big bowl of porridge in the morning with a whole load of berries, a banana, for lunch I'll probably have avocado poached eggs on toast, spinach with tomatoes, um, in my evening meal it'll be really really varied, so I'll go any all sorts of meats throughout the week and then it'll be either rice, pasta, potatoes, sweet potato, it doesn't really matter, like whatever's in 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 stock, we'll we'll buy it. And again, it's just making sure that you're getting so many different vegetables and fruit throughout the day as well. Um, and just an accumulation of all that. I mean, it's it's nothing special. There's nothing that I am eating and not eating. Um, if I want a bit of cake, I'll have it. If I want chocolate, I'll have it. Because I eat such a varied diet, there's no need for me to restrict myself in any way. And um, so that's been 
I think that's been pretty crucial in the fact of just helping aid recovery. I don't think it's really helped me run faster, but it's certainly made me less susceptible to picking up sort of colds and little viruses. Um, and yeah, as I said, allowing my muscles to at least repair after sessions so that I can go again. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's sounds eminently sensible. So, um, yeah, no, I just I, I just had a flashback to reading that article, and yeah, it was at Cocoa Pops, not cornflakes, but <laughs> yeah, like you said, you're a student. I mean, my my diet as a student would have been horrendous. Um, so there's a uh, no judgment pass at all there. It's just what students are like. Um, and there's one one last thing I was going to ask you about actually, but before I get to that, I, was, um, I also remembered. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, but um, I was very, very long time ago watching a program. Obviously, I live in the northeast of Scotland, and it was on like STV or something. And you and your mum had visited the Peterhead running track. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Some, uh, I can't remember what the program was now, but basically this family trying different things, and one of them was they all went out to the track and did some running uh, as a family, and uh, you and your mum took them through their their paces on the track, and uh, I just remember thinking that was really cool, um, you doing that with your mum, and you must have only been about, I don't know, 12 or 13 or something. Um, so I don't know, is that the one and only time you've been to the, the Peterhead running track? Yeah, do you know what, the only reason I remember that is because I had no idea what they were saying, because it was like a different language. <laughs> um, it was just a completely different language that I had. I mean, obviously I've heard Scottish slang before, but Peterhead just seemed to have their own, yeah, just a completely different one. Um, so yeah, no, I actually do remember that. It was, yeah, my first time up there. I've been up, obviously, up north, um, yeah. but maybe not quite as north as Peterhead. I think that's probably the, the furthest up I've been. Um, but do you know what, I'd love to sort of tour around the very, very north, north, north of Scotland, because I've never had the chance to really go up there, and I keep seeing pictures, and obviously it looks beautiful, and all the tourists, anytime you're abroad, everyone's like, oh yeah, I've, I've toured around the north of Scotland, I'm thinking, God, it's embarrassing, like I'm Scottish, and I've, I've never been up there in my life, so um, I suppose that's what it is, though, isn't it? You you end up just never visiting your own country, because oh, you... Oh, definitely. You, um, yeah. But yeah, I'd, I'd love to go back at some point. Yeah, because I mean, like, yeah, and the dialect thing, that's that's totally... I can understand how people sort of south of Aberdeen would struggle the, um, with uh, people who are Peterhead or Fraserburgh um, and that sort of thing. But yeah, to speak about the far north of Scotland, I mean, it's Peterhead and Fraserburgh aren't even there. You've got to go uh, along the coast a bit and then up to Inverness and then further north to get to get the, the really remote north um, parts of Scotland. But it's all amazing. I mean, all around here in particular, you've got hills everywhere and beautiful scenery and it's a great place for running actually, but if you go a bit more remote up to those places, it's, it's even more stunning, so absolutely something to tick off one day, I'm sure. Um, yeah, definitely. So the thing I did want to ask you about actually, so on the podcast we have this uh, theme of how uh, running can save your life, um, and we have clips from people uh, at the start of each episode telling us just a, a short story about how running has either really enhanced or has saved their life, anything from uh, mental health uh, issues to conquering addictions and that sort of thing. And um, I don't know what your thoughts are around that. I mean, I don't know, it sounds like running has been a part of your life for a long time, so it's maybe not totally relevant, but um, as an elite athlete who runs all the time and 
obviously you've had your periods where you've not been able to run. Uh, what, what what do you think, and what's it like for you when when you're unable to run? Um, I suppose yeah, running's always been an escape from something. So whether it's yeah, school exams, university exams, just general stress, running's always been there as my way of of being free from that. Um, even things, I mean, when you're growing up, issues with your whether it's family life, relationships, friends, whatever it is, again, running's always been there to sort of allow me to escape from that sort of thing. It's always been my way of getting away. Um, and so I suppose that's just evolved over the years. Of course, now it's my job, but it hasn't always been my job. So it's it's just always been something that's been a part of my life when stressful moments have, have arrived. Um, that I've, yeah, I've always sort of fell back onto the running and to be honest, I'd say those stressful moments are, are always the times that I've actually improved my running as well because I've just put all of my focus and all my energy into those moments. Um, I'd say in 2011 um, was when obviously my, my parents went through a, a pretty bad divorce, it was very well publicised and I found that very difficult having sort of journalists turn up at my house at stupid o'clock in the morning trying to get me to, to take sides with either my mum or my dad. At the end of the day, I love both my parents, so regardless of what's going on, um, you're, you're never going to take sides. And again, I just put all my effort into, into running. Um, and my little brother had been hospitalised that, uh, that sort of summer as well. And again, everything I just put everything into my running because it's my way of, uh, I suppose, coping. It's almost like a coping mechanism. Um, and I'd say then 2011 obviously I had a great year and unfortunately then I got injured but injuries have been such a, a great way of driving me on to, to bigger and better things as well because I think when you get something taken away from you that obviously you love to do, it's your hobby, it's your passion and then you're just lying up in, in a big cast for the next eight months, um, obviously you can get yeah a bit down from that but it's always been the end goal is I can see the end goal, Jeremy, you know, is getting back jogging again, getting back running and doing what I love. Um, so I'd say those moments, I think the hard moments are what makes you push on and, and try and find greater success. And I suppose that's been the whole way through my career, really. Any sort of down moments I've had have been far eclipsed by the, the sort of uh, the high moments I've had. Yeah, I mean, th thanks for that. That's, it's actually really reassuring. I've asked this question of a few people and... And um, the as as an athletics fan, you look at elite athletes on the television and, and all the rest of it, and you, and you just sort of imagine them to be these robots who churn out the miles or churn out the training sessions, and you kind of forget that um, with the you know you, you you tend to see the the highs and lows on the running track. That that's you know it's just your job, as you say, really. Uh, and as much as you love running, um, you know I don't define myself through my job and, and others don't either so you forget that there's a life behind that that athlete I think when you're just seeing the stuff on the TV um, so it's actually you know it, it humanizes it a bit more I think and, and to know that you guys are have used running and do use running in that way the same as the rest of us do so um, you know that's really really reassuring I think and um, and Obviously, the injury thing. I mean, we've we've all been there, crawling up the walls where we can't get out there, and, and it's yeah, it's you can either use that to drag your to drag you forward like you you have done and will continue to do, and it's really inspiring. So um, 
Yeah, thanks a lot for that. And um, I think I've taken up way more of your time than I intended to, actually. So I think on that note, maybe we should uh, <laughs> call it a day, actually. But um, thanks so much for, for giving up all of your time. Uh, I know you're, you told me at the start you've been rushing about uh, today because of various things. So I'm going to let you get away uh, now. And um, all the best for the for the national champs. And hopefully we'll see you. Uh, on the television again uh, over in Doha for the world's uh, Lit in the year and um, and hopefully next year again at Tokyo. So thank you so much for your time and thanks for having me. All right, thank you. See you later. Bye. Okay, bye. Bye. Okay, thanks very much, Ailish. Uh, that was a really interesting insight into the, the life of a, an elite runner. And yeah, I've got some stuff I want to sort of say about it. But firstly, I'll ask you, Jenny, what you what you took out of that interview and, and what you thought. I just think it's amazing. Like, it's phenomenal, like the dedication, and it's like a whole different world hearing their you know like just about how she plans everything and follows these routines and just such a lovely she's such a nice character like so comes across so down to earth I thought I was yeah. quite surprised because I'd never really you know because I kind of read the magazines and Scottish Athletics and I read little bits and I see pictures of her but see when you hear somebody speaking about their life and you hear people talking about what they do and you can sense the passion that they have through listening to them it totally changes your opinion of somebody and I, I'm just very impressed what an amazing athlete and I'm so proud to you know, just try to have followed that journey so far, I suppose. Yeah, I thought she was super, really good. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's, yeah, for me, following her journey, that's, that's actually really relevant because I, you know, sort of tracking her progress. I, mean, I, I mentioned in, in the interview that I remember seeing her on TV when she was a teenager with her mum. Yeah. Random program uh, on STV or whatever it was. It Peter Head, you know, which is pretty random. But um, <laughs> I, I didn't follow her career from that stage. I, I had no idea about her um, running. But um, for the last few years, anyway, since maybe I don't know, Commonwealth Games 2014 or something, um, I've been aware of her and following progress and especially since she stopped doing the steeplechase and she came back after her injury and she was doing the transition to the 5000 I've been really really following it quite closely and her rise has been unbelievable in such a short yeah. period of time like she went from um, she was good she was really good at the steeplechase I mean she's got the record, Scottish record for 3000 metre steeplechase but that's not I don't want to downplay that at all because having a Scottish record is amazing, but it's nowhere near as good as having a 5,000 metre record on the flat because 
there are so many more people who do that, you know, and so many mm-hmm. more amazing athletes over the years, you know, like her mom, for example, uh, you know. Um, so I think that I, I really am excited about what this year could bring for her next year if she keeps getting it right, because that's her as a yeah. She's got really quick. 1500 and she's just point one, 0.1 or 0.2 of a second away from going under 4 minutes which is really fast it is so fast I mean she's she's not on the level at that um, distance of the likes of Laura Meagher who is one of, the, one of the best in the world but she's not a million miles away you know Laura Muir yeah. sometimes doesn't go under 4 minutes in her races so you know on, on the right day you know, if she got her tactics right and in the right kind of race, really, she could probably challenge her. And it's just, yeah. it's just faster than a over 5,000. So, yeah, really interesting, really exciting. Those two. I keep sort of mentioning them together because they're, I find the pair of them really, really exciting. Um, and they both come from the same club and probably know each other relatively well. You know, they're different mm-hmm. ages, so they wouldn't have trained together when they were younger or anything. But, um, yeah, I think, and you also said that about her being down to earth, and that was something that I thought was like, really, really true as well. And I wasn't surprised by that because I sort of interacted on social media and stuff, and she's kind of commenting back and, and things like that. And uh, she comes across as down to earth on her Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that, and Instagram, but chatting away to her, you wouldn't have no idea. You know, that she's an elite athlete and she's just like mm-hmm. talking about running her sessions and all this sort of stuff. And yeah. It just sounds like, you know, talking to any club runner really. Um, but what she, the, the thing, other thing that I, I heard this before, so it wasn't when I spoke to her, but the number of miles she runs in a week. I was, I couldn't yeah. it. She's like 40, 45 miles a week and I have run consistently more than that in blocks of training, you know, much more than that, 60, mm-hmm. you know, doing 10k training, you know, doing marathon training in these slightly higher, and there are loads of guys I know locally who are cons- consistently banging in 70, 80, 90 mile weeks, and uh, some of them might be about as quick as her, but they're, but they're blokes, you know, uh, over 10k. And she's, you know, she's breaking national records and stuff. It's amazing. Yeah. It's not just about the running. She'll do lots of other cross training and weight training and, and her diet will be a lot to do with it and, and doing the training at the right time and, and all the rest of it and the training camps. It's all focused. But yeah, I think it, I find it really empowering or something that, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's what can be achieved if you do it smart, if you train smart. Yeah, it's not just yeah you'd have to be all these miles. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, another thing I was going to say was, oh yeah, we I asked her about the um, the theme that we've got of uh, running, saving her life, and, and if that applied for her, and she, again, really down to earth, and just said that, you know, she has always used running as a tool to find headspace and, you know, get yeah. a long before she was in a so You don't, you don't think of people on her level who use running, you know, running just as their job and they're just amazing at it and, 
<laughs> you kind of forget that they're humans. You know, sometimes in, they will all have their ups and downs, same as the rest of mm-hmm. us do. And it's quite comforting that Ronnie can do that for her as well, you know, as, as it means yeah. near you or anyone exactly. else. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's really lovely. Yeah, so... Good. So, yeah, that was... Um, uh, I, I was, yeah, again, going back to the being down to earth, that's the thing that I've, I've found with any of these guests that I've chatted to, you know, a variation of sort of elite runners and normal runners and inverted commas and, you know, little record holders, national record holders, that sort of thing. Every one of them is down to earth and happy to chat mm-hmm. about the open up as well as talking about the running and stuff. So mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. You know, it's really I really enjoy talking about it actually and talking to them. So it's really good. Um. So yeah, we'll move on. So now you've got to be away in about ten minutes or so. Um, oh no! That's a little bit short. Um. This week, so next couple of weeks you've got your Lakeland one hundred and sort of. Rough, rough with you. Yeah. We're not quite sure when it is, but we'll find out before the day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna, I've got a lot of podcasts to watch about the race, and I've got oh, my race good. briefing printed, and I know what I'm doing. I've, I've, I've read the kit list, so I know oh, what nice. I need, so, and I've tried out my kit. I know the route, I just need the, it's the fine details. <laughs> yeah. Uh, find, find, so it's fine. Find all that stuff out on your way around. Yeah, and I'm going down early anyway, so I'm going to be there yeah. um, before the event, which should be good. So, yeah. Happy days. That's going to be brutal. <laughs> nah, so, um, cool. So, I guess you won't be doing an awful lot of running the next two weeks if you're tapering. No. That's the theory. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to Wales next week on holiday, so there'll be very little running next week. Mm. Right, there'll, be, there'll be temptation there as well, though, wouldn't there? So lots of nice hills around there. Yeah, I'll stay, stay away from them all. <laughs> I've only been to Wales once in my life, and I, I was basically on the side of a massive steep hill, it wasn't like a mountain or anything, it was roads, but uh, I went for a run a couple of times, I remember like, no choice but to run down this big hill at the start, mm-hmm. and I wish many had to run up it to the end, but it was That's just like, funny. yeah, mega steep, that was a few years ago. Yeah, um, yeah next one. A couple of weeks for me, try and get some running in, as I said, try and get a couple of longer ones in, since I didn't do the longer ones I watched in the last couple of weeks. And then it's all, all prepped for the baby arrival, I guess. Uh, I know. Yeah, so next episode there should be, uh, a little baby on the go. No, obviously, but here. Here, the glass. I'm going to say. Yeah. Well, good luck. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how much sleep I'm getting and stuff next time. <laughs> Just watch. look after your... He's got to look after your wonderful missus. <laughs> She's sitting right across from me right now, so I'll pass that on. Yeah. I'll look after my wonderful missus. That's the message. <laughs> so, uh, 
I thought she'd really she's got the heart. She's got she's got the hard shit to go. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. like that's a bit like I don't know what's worse, having a baby or running. <laughs> yeah, well, funny you say that. I remember when our first daughter was born. We had a pretty long day. I say we had a pretty long day. My wife had a pretty long day. <laughs> and uh, I remember the midwife saying something along the lines of, I don't know how, somehow mentioned running. Now I had. I had run a marathon a couple of months earlier, but that was before I was really into running and stuff. But I had done the Loch Ness Marathon, and I remember the midwife saying something like, oh, I bet giving birth is harder than a marathon. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm pretty sure it is, you know, no doubt. <laughs> that looks a hell of a lot harder than what I did. The recovery is worse. Yeah. Never yeah, mind, sure, now sure. because it's very exciting. Yeah, so, uh, doing this weird yeah, thing of the, like, the whole nesting thing and preparing the house and tidying the house and cleaning the house and all the rest of it. But it's just going to be, like, turned upside down the minute the baby arrives, I'm sure, so I'm not sure how, how oh, yeah. it is. <laughs> we'll just make sure you take the right bag for the hospital, don't take the running bag, <laughs> take the baby bag. I don't bag, sure, so I'll take the right bag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Yeah. Right, so, a uh, quick plug as usual for the podcast. You're already listening to the podcast, so we don't need to plug it. But if you hit the subscribe button if you haven't done already, it means you get them automatically downloaded to your, your phone or wherever you listen. And if you give us a rating, that would be appreciated. It helps the other people to find us. Um, I haven't checked recently, but we did have a five-star rating the last time I checked. I'm not sure how many people that was. One, I think. <laughs> Still five-star, though. So, uh, yeah, do some more of that if you can. And, of course, check out the Facebook page. Uh, it's just facebook.com slash exploreRunning. Um, been a bit quiet on there lately because we're not doing an awful lot in terms of um, going out and running the folk that still do the training plans and stuff but um, still share some stuff on there stuff that's going on locally and that's worth having a giving it a like um, and yeah send us in any feedback comments guests suggestions running stories and your audio clips that would be much appreciated so speak to you oh I forgot to say next guest I've got lined up is Jenny Bannerman from Inverness um, I don't know if you know her she is uh, like the best runner in Inverness of the last sort of ten years or so, and she's won a couple of Scottish titles and that sort of thing. And she's uh, a really nice person. I've spoken to her a few times at races and things, and she's uh, pretty cool. So, um, her dad is her coach, and yeah, I want to have a take a having a chat with her, and hearing about her, her training, and her. She she um her partner is also a very Good runner, very high level runner. Um, I've just forgotten his name. Stephen. I want to say Stephen Mackay, but that doesn't sound quite right. We'll find out. Stephen, <laughs> forgotten his name. And her dad is Charles Bannerman, who's uh, been a coach for the last. Okay. God knows how long, and a very well respected guy in Scottish athletics and stuff. So, it'll be cool to hear about how that all fits in with her and, and what she's got planned, and you know, she's been running really well the last year or so. So. 
speaking to her next week and we will chat about that hopefully in a couple of weeks time I apologise if there's a little bit of a delay in getting the next episode out because I'll be otherwise engaged in a couple of weeks time but uh, yeah. I'm sure we'll fit it in around about two weeks or so alright and if I don't speak to you before Lakeland I hope I do but if I don't good luck <laughs> you might get a phone call randomly <laughs> in the middle of the night <laughs> yeah you might be the only person I know that will still be awake for some money. Cool. All right then. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe we could record the podcast whilst you're running around Lakeland. Yeah, you never know. I might know. get inspired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, all the best. Catch you later. All right. Okay. Bye. bye.